This is our third example of how not to read Help My Bible is Alive over the next 30 days. If you didn't recognize that, that was our music director, John Beresford. Uh, it's a good thing that he did not run into anything. If you've seen those videos with people on their phones as they're walking, they'll run into trees. I've seen them fall into like ponds. So glad John is still here with us. But that's a fun illustration for us as we're in the middle of our series on the Bible, the Word of God, the Scriptures, this 30-day a challenge that we've launched into 2021. Help, my Bible is alive. A 30-day Bible reading challenge, uh, kind of following Nicole Eunice, one of our teaching pastors here, in her book, Help, My Bible is Alive, where we spend 15 minutes every day reflecting, reading, uh, and letting the scriptures kind of form us. And two weeks in, so we're about the halfway point, So if this was a race, we're at that halfway point. And I know maybe some of us are feeling that temptation uh, to give up. Maybe some of us are further behind. Some of us are feeling like this is too hard. But I want to encourage you, stick with it. Keep pushing. Keep going. Uh, If you need a little more encouragement and you haven't joined our Facebook group uh, for this, Help My Bible is Alive, you can learn more about it in the news feed. Man, some great testimonies. People are just chiming in and sharing stories of how they're struggling or how honest they are about how hard it was for them to read, but uh, challenging, encouraging stories. And every Monday night at 8 p.m. on that Facebook site, uh, Nicole joins us and gives some coaching and encouragement and direction for us. So halfway there, almost halfway there, we're going to keep pressing forth as we go through this challenge. And it's around uh, the theme verse for our series is Hebrews 4 verse 12. It says this, very simple, for the word of God is alive and active. For the word of God is alive and active. See, the Bible is no ordinary book. It is the word of God given to us to uh, transform us, to shape us, to guide us and direct us. It really shows us who we are and how we should live in our world. We learned last week what it means for it to be a mirror, for it to shine a light in our own hearts, uh, to reveal to us where we fail, where we stumble, where we're broken and where we need help. But it's also a light for the path before us, illuminating for us how we should live our lives, the ways we should walk and how we should perceive others around us. And today we're going to focus on the promise that God's word, the scriptures, the word of God is effective. That God's word is effective. Essentially asking this question, does it work? Does the Bible actually work? Does it work? Does all the reading, all the reflecting, this 30 day challenge, everything we're doing, does it actually have an impact in my life? Will it really change me? And the answer is, well, maybe. See, it's possible to read the Bible, to know the Bible, to even live out the Bible and never be truly changed. How is this possible? Well, the Bible talks over and over and over again 
about someone who is kind of seeing the world around them, but never truly understanding what's really going on in a scriptural and a spiritual way. Even Jesus talks about it concerning a parable, one of the stories he would share with his disciples uh, talking about the kingdom of God. In Mark 4, he says this, they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, hearing, but never understanding. So the question for us is how do we move from people who are not just seeing and hearing, but actually perceiving and understanding for the word of God to be truly effective in our lives. The New Testament writer, the apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, gives a little direction in 1 Corinthians. He says this, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of, or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom as it is written, and this may sound familiar, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. See, these are the things God has revealed to us. This is the important part, what Paul is trying to say, by his spirit. And he goes on to say the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. See, what we're talking about is the spirit shining a light on the scriptures to reveal to us the wisdom that Paul is talking about. From a theological perspective, they call this the doctrine of illumination. You may have heard that before. You may have heard prayers even here at our service, a prayer of illumination. All that is saying is that we're looking at the, at the Holy Spirit to illuminate, to shine a light on the scriptures. See, if we just try to read the Bible from our own merits, from our own perspective, our own will, and even our own intellect, that we're smart enough to understand everything that's going on in the Bible. No matter how hard you try, how long you go, eventually, uh, when we read from that perspective, we'll become like the hypocrites in the first century that Jesus talks about. These people that knew the Bible but apply it not according to the Spirit. We become judgmental. We become someone who hears but never truly understands. But if you come with humility, with the Holy Spirit as our guide, shining a light on the scriptures, when we read it, it becomes effective in our lives. Well, is that it? That's, that's the end of the sermon. How can the Bible be effective in our lives? Well, the Holy Spirit leads the way. We invite the Holy Spirit to show us how to do it. We know that when we read the scriptures according to the Spirit, it illuminates for a way to be effective in our lives. But there's more to it. So I wanna share a story with you. IBM, a very recognizable global company uh, called the Global Innovation, they used to have a Global Innovation Outlook Conference. And what they would do each year, IBM would think some of the best thinkers of the world, kind of the futurist thinkers, people who thought above and beyond uh, what they saw but could think 10, 15, 20 years ahead. And they would gather all these people and resource them and give them space and time to think and for them to tackle some of the major problems of the world. They would say, here's this crisis that we're dealing with. Could you guys kind of think of a way of a, we can solve this solution? And one of the years they decided to tackle, uh, one of the issues they decided to tackle was the healthcare crisis in the U.S. That each year there's about $1.8 billion spent on Healthcare every single year, about 15% of our gross domestic product. 
And they said, hey, we want to give you time and get all these great thinkers. And could you come up with a solution? So that everyone's anticipating uh, this great solution when they come onto the stage. And they're expecting a scientific breakthrough, a technological advance, or something in genetics where they could figure out a way they could really help solve this issue. And what they present uh, is something much simpler. They say 80% of that $1.8 billion could be resolved by not something uh, that we can create, but just something we can change. It's 80%, 1.5, almost $1.5 billion that can be resolved if people would change five things, five behavioral issues. Just stop drinking less, eating less, having less stress, start exercising, and stop worrying so much. If we do those five behavioral issues, we could solve 80% of that $1.8 billion crisis. And I think you know where I'm going with this is that even though the answers for change were there, for the change to be effective in people's lives, the gap was in human behavior. It's not like the solution was complicated. It was effective for change in people's lives, but the gap was human behavior. See, even though we know at a deep level that the Bible is good for us, we know the Bible can actually change us. We know the Bible can be effective in our lives. The gap is in our behavior. The gap is in how we approach it. So in our limited time together, I want to walk us through uh, three steps in how we can shorten that gap for the Bible truly to be effective in our lives. Three ways. One uh, is becoming aware of its power. Then we hold the Bible. When we read the Bible, we can be aware of its power. Second, to recognize its authority. And third, how deeply personal it truly is. First, being aware of its power. And this framework and looking at the scriptures, I'd highly recommend a great book uh, by John Frame, Doctrine of the Word of God. We get really creative with our titles in theology, uh, but it's a great book if you want to take a theological perspective on the effectiveness of God's Word. But first, being aware of its power. And this is just a pause to think about who God is. Sometimes we miss it that when God speaks, things happen. When God speaks, things happen happen. God is a powerful God. Now sometimes we come into this gathering and sometimes we need to go to the Lord as our good father. Sometimes we need to go to the Lord as our comforter. Sometimes we need to go to the Lord as a friend who walks with us. But we never want to miss how powerful God is that when God uttered, let there be light from nothing, creation exploded. According to the scriptures, when God spoke his words, everything changed. That when God speaks, things happen. And it's only by the power of his word. See, just by his words, he created all things and holds all things and sustains all things. Like I said, it doesn't just end with creation. God didn't just kind of set things in motion and step away as someone who's observing what's happening, but he continued to speak throughout history. And he speaks these words, words of judgment. Sometimes his words are judgment because people have fallen away. People have walked away from God, but so much more in his salvation, his words of grace Listen to some of his judgment he gives. Psalm 46, 6 says this, nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall, but he lifts his voice, the earth 
melts. And the message puts it this way, is the earth does whatever God says by the voice of his Lord, a voice of his voice, things happen. Isaiah 30, 30 and 31 says, Lord will cause people to hear his majestic voice and will make them and see his arm coming down with raging anger and consuming fire with cloud bursts, thunderstorm and hail. The voice of the Lord was shattered Assyria with his rod. He will strike them down. Now you see those words of judgment where his voice carries with it the consequences of walking away from him, but it also carries this magnificent, beautiful grace. Listen to the words he gives Abraham and Sarah, these patri- this patriarch and matriarch of our faith we find in Genesis. And Sarah at an old age is given this promise of having a child and she begins to doubt. And the angel of the Lord representing the very voice of God says this to her, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And if you break the Hebrew down, literally it says this, is any word too wonderful for God? Is any word too wonderful for the Lord? You hear this again in the gospel story, the story of the birth of Jesus when Mary is pregnant and visited by the angel. It's representing the voice of God. She says again, is any, any word too wonderful for the Lord? The salvation of grace that God has good words for you no matter where you are, to lift you up. In our world today, I think all of us searching for someone who has power to enter into our lives, for something or someone, no matter where you walk from, however you came to this place, I think we're all searching for someone who has the words to give power to our situation, someone to change the narrative of our life, someone to change the diagnosis you may have received this month, someone to speak a word to remove the cancer in your life, someone to fix your marriage, to restore relationships, to relieve the loneliness. And friends, we have a God who hears this and with this powerful voice says, there's nothing too hard for me. There are no words that are too wonderful for you. The God of the universe who spoke all things into being says, there's nothing that I can't do. And the power that created all things speaks wonderful words to you wherever you may be. But the Lord reminds us it's not just in the power that he carries with the words he speaks, but also the authority he gives when he directs us. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11 is a beautiful passage that kind of shares what the authority of God's word does. And it starts with this poetic description. It says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that yield seed for the sower and bread for the eater. And it's very common, very common in Hebrew uh, literature, this kind of parallelism where the, there's this beautiful description, but then he gives explanation to what he's trying to convey and says this, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. This passage, the prophet Isaiah paints a beautiful picture of the nature and the cycle of what rain does. It comes and nourishes the earth It causes seeds to bloom and bud and it flourishes and feeds all people. The word of God comes 
and changes what is dead to alive. And it's very important that it's describing what the word of God does in people. See, God is not just a casual observer to this cycle, but he himself is the author, the cause. It's the word that comes out of his mouth that accomplishes it all that he desires and achieves the purpose that he sets forth. God is not passive, but rather active in his words to nourish and flourish you and the world around you, the very purpose for which it goes forth. See, we already discovered the power of God's words, but now we have to start beginning to recognize the authority of those words in our lives, that God's words are an instrument into which God's will is made accomplished in our lives and the world itself. And authority is really essentially how we should approach the Bible, for when we look at the scriptures as authority over us is when it really transforms from a helpful guide. Hey, I'm, I'm going through something. Is there some words that could help me? something becomes transformational to who I am. Does the scriptures have authority over you? I'll share an illustration that I've shared before. This idea, uh, in the fall, uh, my wife and I, we, we went house hunting because we needed a little more space for our ever-growing family, and we purchased a new home, and I shared that uh, story with you before, but imagine it was before that, and we're house hunting, and uh, you guys were kind, and there was no uh, restrictions, and you invited myself, invited me to into your home, uh, and you welcome me, and as I walk in, I start looking around, and you know I'm uh, house searching, so you see me looking around, and as I start looking around, I start falling in love with your home. I, I say, man, this is a great neighborhood. Uh, it's a great house, great layout. Man, I love the kitchen. I love the bathroom, the great space. I love everything about it. And I look at you and I say, man, I really like this home. I'd really like to have it. And you say, well, the house isn't for sale. I just invited you over for uh, dinner. I said, no, I, I think I want this house. I think this house is mine now. <laughs> you may think I'm just kidding and joking around. Say, ha, ha, ha. And then I get really serious. No, this house is mine. And I think you would quickly uh, ask me to leave and probably never invite me back again. But let me change the context a little bit. Let's go backwards in time and pretend we're in whatever time period, 12th century Europe. And I'm not just a, a random pastor that is kind of wanting things, but say I'm the king of my land. And I come into your house and I say, this house is mine. It's a little different, right? A little different reaction from you, a little different reaction because uh, of the context. And the question for today is, who or what has authority over you? Because that question, above any other question today, is going to really determine what the Bible means to you and how effective it is in your life. Because if we don't allow the scriptures to have authority over us, it always will become something secondary to us where we can choose what we want to follow, kind of ignore the stuff we don't want to tackle. And a great way to kind of reveal, is this true in your life, is to examine, is there stuff in the Bible that you really struggle with? Is there stuff in the Bible when you read it and you say, I, I don't get it, God. You know, I really don't personally like this in the Bible. I wish I could take it out. Is there anything in the Bible you look at and say, man, I just keep wrestling with God over and over and over again. and I just still don't get it. But you still say, Lord, you have authority over me and I'll still obey. Help me understand. If you've gotten to those points, 
it's a good revelation that maybe you have chosen to give authority. If you've never gotten that point, you may still be treating the Bible as something secondary in your life. Now back to the king illustration I just used. See, you can choose to continue to live outside of his kingdom. You can actually uh, never submit to the king. You can create your own little kingdom and create your own separate rules on how you live and take some principles from the king and apply it to your life. But if you ever do decide to venture into his kingdom, you have to submit to his authority. And when we hear that, our natural tendency sometimes is to push back. Say, well, I, I, I don't like people telling me what I can and can't do or how I should live my life or what things I should believe. But I, I want to encourage you this way. This is a, a different type of king than you've ever encountered, a different kind of leader than you've ever come to face with. But the good news of God's kingdom is that while he has all power and all authority to take from you, he'd rather draw you near to help you flourish and give life to all around you. See, rather than take from you and say, well, I want this now, he says, let my words nourish you and let the faith you have, let it bud and bloom and let it feed and nourish all those around you as well. The purpose of my word is to go forth and give life to all, not just life to sustain you, but life to help you live life to the full. And that's what the good king does and how all this kind of ties together, that God's word is powerful and authoritative, but it is very deeply personal. The gospel of John, John was a follower of Jesus in that first century when Jesus was alive. Then he wrote this account sharing about his life. You can find it in the New Testament. And it says this, how he starts off, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. A little bit later in verse 14, he says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is more important than just words on a page. It's how God makes his powerful and authoritative word become relatable to us. Not by a distant decree or an uncompassionate order, but he draws near to you and says, I will take on flesh and dwell amongst you. God, the word of God, God himself comes and dwells among us to walk with us, to know our stories, to know where we struggle. He takes it upon himself to communicate the goodness of who he is. See, while we don't worship a book, we do worship Jesus, the word who has took on flesh. And he communicates himself through, his, um, through this finite medium called the scriptures, which all points back to himself. The author of Hebrews says this, long ago or in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his Son. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things. What? By His powerful Word. So God's Word is affected not because we choose to, but because Jesus was sent forth as His Word, the very power, authoritative Word, deeply personal to engage in our lives, to reconcile us for His glory. So when we read the Word of God, we retell the story of Jesus. 
And the story of Jesus is this, and the story of scripture is this, that while left to ourselves, we were sinners, that we had fallen so far away, that while alone, that we had walked away from God, and that this depth of sin in us, there's a savior that comes. That powerful, authoritative, good word comes and rescues us by grace. And we retell that good news over and over again in our own narratives when we fall trapped to the things of this world. So in all situations, we turn to God's word. When we're afraid, the word says this, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I'll behold you with my righteous right hand. When you're feeling anxious, we can stand on this. See, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy, Psalm 94, verse 19. When we're lonely, how many of you guys have felt lonely this year? Listen to this, turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. This honest plea in scripture but God promises to meet us. And when we're broken, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Psalm 147, verse Three, when we experience injustice, when we feel like there's no one on our side, it says, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. It's just a taste of the word that he gives to us to be effective in our life. These are not just words we put on our mirror a post on our social media sites, but these are promises made only through the story of Jesus, this deeply personal God who has come to make the word effective in our lives. See, he wants to have us live life to the full where we flourish and nourish those around us. See, the series that we're talking about here, this even the 30-day Bible reading challenge, this uh, series on the Word of God, it's not about making you bi- better Bible readers. It's not about you guys uh, learning to read the Bible uh, in a more effective way. It's falling deeper in love with our Savior and our Lord Jesus. That's what the Word of God is, and that's how it becomes to have effect in our lives. When we're feeling anxious and lonely and broken, when we feel like no one's on our side and all life has thrown us, is throwing us into the pit of despair, it is the Word of God, Jesus himself, communicating to us to lift us up and says, I'm with you. I'm walking with you. If it's time to mourn, I'll weep with you. And when it's time to celebrate, I'll be there with you. If you want the God's word to be effective in your life, it's falling deeper in love with Jesus. That's how we do it. Let's pray. God, thank you for you, who you are, and the goodness of who you are, Lord. That through it all, we walk with you, not by our own faith, but the faithfulness of your son, Jesus Christ, who lived a life we could never live and died the death we so deserved. And through him, you give us your spirit, the Holy Spirit who lifts us up, nourishes us, and points us towards Jesus. So wherever we are, wherever space we are worshiping you today, may your spirit shine a light in our lives and in the scripture and let those promises begin to shape, transform, guide us either 
in repentance or in hope. And in all things, we give you the glory. We pray in your powerful name. Amen.